Recording in progress. Okay, here we are. Parsha's Pikude. We are at the last Parsha of Elchemish Shemais. I almost said, I almost said Chobos Gracious, and I was like, that would have been very awkward. Um, so here, what? It is a very, very long Chobos. It has very few Rashi's. Bayakul and Pikude both have very few Rashi's because we've already had these conversations before. And so we already had, you know, we already know what's going on over here. Uh, so there are very few Rashi's. Bukude has a few more than Mayako, but like not majorly. Um, so we have a couple of things that we need to do. First of all, it's starting from chapter 38, verse 21, if you're going to find it in your Chumash. So it's Chumash Shemais. Chapter, chapter 38, verse 21, is from the book of Numbers. Uh, no, sorry, from the book of Exodus. I lied. Um, I didn't lie. I mixed up. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, so Parsha Bukude, first of all, is the last Parsha. We have a lot of things that we have to talk about. First of all, today's Rosh Chodesh, the first day of Rosh Chodesh, Adar 2. So today is the official date is Adar 1. It's the 30th day of the first month of Adar, but it's also Rosh Chodesh Adar 2, because we have two days of Rosh Chodesh today and tomorrow both Rosh Chodesh. So we have the interesting convergence of of two Adars going on right here today. We're both Rosh Chodesh, we're 30 Rosh Chodesh Adar 1 and we're Rosh Chodesh Adar 2. Um, and this was, this is my own thought, so you absolutely 100% do not have to accept it. But I have a couple of kids whose birthdays are in Adar. And so they don't celebrate the birthday in Adar 1. They celebrate birthdays in Adar 2. Unless you were born in Adar 1, all Adar, huh? I was born in Adar 2 and I always thought it was the other way around. No, 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 no. Adar 2 is considered the real Adar. It's close to Nissan. So that's like, what? They Oh, but if you want to celebrate both, you could totally celebrate both, obviously. But what happened in my house was the kids were like, oh, it's my mini birthday. It's like, you know, it's starting the, you know, starting the, my daughter's like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be 18 yet. So I'm going to push it off another month. But, but, um, but there's a place where it felt to me that Adar one is like a dress rehearsal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's actually true halachically, but like all the things that we're going to celebrate in the fullness of it in Adar two, we're celebrating. We didn't make the birthday cakes. We didn't make them give them any presents or any of that kind of stuff, but we did say happy mini birthday to you. So like there is this place where Adar one almost feels like, you know, like things that are happening in Adar one are kind of dress rehearsal in a certain, in a certain way. I just realized my I'm my grandmother's birthday was is was last honor technically, but also today it's like Rosh Hashanah honor is It's your outside. Okay, so we should have learning. This is supposed to be your grandmother as well. What's her name? Um, Kayla Sarah Kayla Sarah by Yonatan. Whose yard site is well? It's interesting because of yard sites they actually do in the first order, by and large. But we're but we're going to count as Rosh Chodesh order because it's Rosh Chodesh, so it doesn't matter. Ben Yonatan, Kayla Sarbat Yonatan. So her neshama should have an aliyah, and our Torah should be a merit for her as well. Um, and also, I wanted to to have our learning be a little bit of a merit, or you know, whatever tipping tipping the scales for all the people in Ukraine who are should be kept safe. And the people who are trying to get to safety and who are, you know, the little, you know, there isn't a whole lot that we can do from here, but our Torah learning definitely, we believe, makes a difference. So our learning should also tip the scale to help protect them and keep them safe and help them get to wherever they need to be going safely. And we should have a resolution. I, I said to somebody today, like, Hashem's plan should unfold with Rahmanis, with, with compassion and with mercy. And we should be able to see how it all ends good. I'm not sure what that looks like right now, but that that's why he's God because he has a way bigger view than I do. So we should be able to see that his, his plan ends with compassion um, and that we get to see the goodness. And our, our Torah learning should be in that merit as well. So that was something. So, so that was one thing that I wanted to say. The other, back to my Rosh Chodesh thought, which may or may not be true. It feels like we're making this transition from what we were wishing to what is actually going to be. Adar one is where we have this vision for ourselves, but it gets actualized in Adar two. Meaning, if I have, I like I said, I have two kids who had birth of a birthdays in Adar, so their Adar one, it wasn't a real birthday. It was just kind of like, you know, play acting a little bit. 
but Adar too is when their birthday is really going to be. And so my first bracha for us, as we stand here at that transition of Adar one and Adar two, that we should take a moment and think about the things that we wish for ourselves because we're moving into a space where we can really actualize it because we're going from Adar one into Adar two. So they're going to become much more real. So we should, we should think for ourselves and we should pray for ourselves and for the people around us for like, yeah, like what is it something that we're keeping in the recesses of our heart that we're like, we're a little too nervous <laughs> to really put into words, but like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, you know, let's, let's bring it into potential because really that's what other two is going to, is going to be doing on a, on a very deep level. So that's my first bracha. The other thing that, and as we start is that this Parsha's Pekude is our last Parsha of Chama Shemos, which means what else is happening on this Shabbos? Chazak, chazak, chazak. Did we do one already? Did we do Parashas together? I was like, as I'm thinking about it, I was like, oh my gosh, this feels so familiar, right? So Shabbos Chazak means at the, at, at the end, if you look to the end, when it's going to, when the Torah reader is going to read um, that the, the cloud of Hashem was on the Mishkan every day and then the cloud, I'm fully translating. That's why I don't do translation for a living. Um, and the fire was there at night in front of the Jewish people for all their journeys. And everybody's going to say, and everybody's going to say, we should be strong. We should be strong. We should be strengthened. And there's really such a powerful bracha in that, that I want to also explore for a second. I want to, you know, this place of, First of all, if we're going to go to the end for a second, the 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 the, chumish, the whole chumash stops or doesn't stop. It ends with this place where we say that Hashem's revelation, whether it's a cloud, whether it's a fire, is with us in all of our journeys. All of our journeys. It's not just when we're in a specific space, but wherever we go and wherever we are. Hashem is going with us. Sometimes we'll see it in one form. Sometimes we'll see it in another form. And really that place of chazak, we are saying to be strong and to be strong and to be strengthened. If you go to a show, I'm not saying I'm actually going to do this, but if one was to go to show and be there when they finish the Torah and to have everybody scream out, be strong, be strong and be strengthened. This is a chance for us personally to use the power of everybody blessing us to be strong and to be strong and to be strengthened. That where is there someplace in our journey that we want to take that blessing of the of the community of all the people who know us, don't know us, love us, and are wishing us so much strength, so much spine, so much fortitude, so much yalla, you can do this. And if we're there and we think about it, then we, we kind of are making a vessel for the blessing that they're going to give us. They're giving it, we're giving it to all of it. You know, it's kind of, Equal opportunity blessing, but if we make the vessel to receive it personally, say, what do I want to be strengthened in? What is something that in my journey, I would love to have the blessing of strength to continue to do, then, then be there. Let's show up. Let's actually tap into a blessing that is literally being given to us. And if you go to even the most calm show, they're not going to say this like, no, no, no. They're going to like belt it out. Go to a noisy show, kind of like some of the shows we know here. Um, they're, they're really going to like belt it out to you. So like, like we should really take that opportunity to, to receive the blessing from the community to say, what, what do I want to be strengthened in? And if by chance we don't actually make it into a, into a show, I'm going to give us a bracha that we tap into the bracha anyway. That we, that we take the time. And we think like, if I was in chill right now, and this is about the time that they would be doing the Torah reading, this is kind of the, the blessing that I would love to be strengthened in. So I don't know how legit that is, but I'm making it legit. So like, yeah, like we could do this. Okay. So, so right. But if we get there, great. And if we don't get there, really to take the time and to think and to make it a conscious, to bring it down from our other Rishon place, our wishful place into our other to place into our actualizing place and then to receive this awesome blessing for it i think that's really like that's a nice combo over there so we should try to we should try to pull that off okay now the other thing about being chazak is that we have to look not only at this parsha which is usually enough for us we're doing fine for time but we also have to zoom out for a second we have to look at the whole book because when we close the book we aren't only closing this parsha we're closing the whole book and there's a whole different theme going on in the whole book than then we have just for this Parsha. So we're going to work out and then go in. I think like I have this like 
challenge brewing in my head and I hope it's going to like work as it comes out, but I think it's going to all work together. So the whole book, you know, is called, it's called the book of Shemos. And we spoke about this, that it's called Sefer HaGeula, the book of redemption. And the book of redemption starts off in exile and starts with really terrible slavery in really bad places, but it doesn't end when we cross the sea. It doesn't end when we're away from, from Pharaoh and the Egyptians and whatever's holding us back, right? We've learned enough Hasidists to know that Mitzrayim and Egypt is all the stuff that holds us back and holds us down. And one thing which I think is a stomp side comment is super interesting to me that we get to learn all about the Exodus partiot when it's not Pesach. These are all the stories that we're going to have coming up soon when we get to Pesach, uh, right? It's about six weeks away. No need to panic. It's going to be fun. It's, it's, it, don't worry. It's great. No need to panic. It's awesome. It's going to be fantastic. But Sometimes when we get to Pesach, we don't actually have so much time to think about my personal redemption and where do I want to go and how do I want to be free and what's holding me back and what do I want. We're like dealing with like the details of what's going on and Seder and food, blah, 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 right? So we have this pre-learning almost of going through the Exodus situation um, when it's not Pesach. And so that way, when we get to Pesach, like we're already in the mode of thinking in terms of liberation and where do we want to go from here? And not only are we, the other thing that we're getting from this is that, you know, every single Chag has a specific energy that is sort of very, very highlighted at that Chag. So Pesach is going to be the energy of, of redemption and freedom, right? We know that Sukkot is joy and every, everyone has their own thing. But the question that, and that we're closing the book that talks about redemption, the book of redemption means we don't only get to be redeemed or our personal redemption doesn't only happen when we are in an ideal situation. You know, Pesach, it's spring, the, the sun is shining and things are blooming. And unless you have allergies, I think that's a really nice thing to see, you know, and everything. Things starting to come to life and life but what happens we're ready to tackle freedom and that's not the situation? What if it's winter? What if it's nasty weather? What if it's yucky and cold? And, and we still are yearning for freedom. Then we've just done that. That was what we, this whole book of Shemos was dealing with freedom in a less than ideal situation. And so the energy of the Parsha gives us that as well. So here we are, we're closing the book of Exodus. So we kind of just to remind us that we have not only one way of achieving exodus like when everything is perfect when all the stars are aligned and everything's in the, the right situation like then we can like break free but also it's reminding us that if we want it anytime it's available it's available to us anytime anytime we want to put the effort in to break free of whatever it is that we know is holding us back then we can do it and we we know it because we just went through all those torah portions in the winter unless like you're a southern hemisphere then whatever, that's a different conversation, but um, it, we've just done it. We've gone through all those portions and we've learned so much about it. And the, and the, and the end of it really is understanding that we don't just leave a situation. It's not just enough for us to leave Egypt. This is where I need to leave. This is what's holding me back, right? The question is in our Torah portion, we know because we've been dealing with this a lot, it finishes, the book finishes with building a home for God. And so when I, it's not just enough to say that is no good. I have to be able to put in, but what is good? It's not just a nothing space. That's like, that's a vacuum. Vacuums are not a good place to be, but it's, it, the first part is understanding that this space, this, this character trait, this, whatever you want to call it, we all know our, our list is very long of all the things that are not optimal in our lives, right? That we would like to break out of. But the question is, and then what? And that's what this book of Exodus is telling us. It's not enough to just get away from that which is not good for us, but I need to be able to put something good into that place. And I need to put in whatever the equivalent of building a home for God in this particular area is, that's where I need to go with it. I need to be able to take the energy, take the character trait, take whatever it is that we're working on. It's not just enough to say, I'm not going to do that but I'm going to do this. And then when I'm going to fill it with something positive, then we're going to end up with a growth, not just a not decline. So that's kind of a little bit of a little bit, the overview of the whole submission that's going on over here. We spent lots of time talking about lots of things. So I'm not going to go back into all of those things, but that's kind of a little bit of 
something to think about that as we come and we're, we've been dealing the last five weeks with very closely building a home for God, this is a time for us to stop a second and say, but if we were to zoom back and we're closing a book that starts with our exile and it starts with our not great place, like there is a place in our lives that we do have to remember the spaces that are less than optimal and then say, well, look at us now. Look at where we've come. Look how much we've grown. Look at how, look how we've changed and how we've matured. And this is something I still want to work on. And all of those are, are you know, this, this is the time to do it, it's, you know, because sometimes I think, and this is my, my personal tangent. So again, you don't have to take my personal tangents, but I think we're sometimes so caught up in whatever's going on right here, right now, we forget to zoom out and say like, you know, where is this? Where am I? I'm like, I'm so focused. Like we've been dealing with like the details and the details of building a home for God. And we're like, you forget like, this is the end of a conversation that starts with our exile and that starts with us getting out of a bad place and coming to a good place and coming into a relationship with Hashem. And if we don't ever take the time to think about our journey and we don't take the time to think about where I was and where I am and now where, how am I moving that forward? All of a sudden you wake up and you're like, you haven't thought about these things for like a really long time. And that becomes like, Oh, that's not really so cool. So this is the time as we close the Chumash, as a time to really stop and take the time to think about where I was and where I'm going and what, ha- what I've learned and where I've grown and where I still want to grow because this is it. We're going to get the power from the, from the brachas and from everybody to move forward. So like, let's take advantage of that. So that's, that's this. So I am for that. Thank you. And now here we are. Finally, we get to Parshas Pekude. Parshas Pekude is what's called the accounting of the there's two main, two main parts. Number one is the accounting of everything that Moshe collected. This is like transparency bookkeeping number, you know, 101 of, of what did we take in and what did we do with it? So the, he's going to give very, very detailed accounts of the specific precious metals, uh, where exactly those went. And then he's going to talk about the more general and all the, the threads and the this and the that's the general of where it went. It's, but when you, if you're we're gonna take a look at that for a second, because that's something that I wanna, I wanna get to in a second. So that's the first thing we have is the is the accounting, and then he talks about making all the, the things, and then we have the actual making of all the stuff, making the vessels and making everything, and that. And then yesterday's aliyah. Yesterday was Ravi. Yesterday was the fourth aliyah. They bring all the stuff to Moshe. And Moshe has to start to put the stuff together. Okay, he's going to put all the things together, and that's going on for the next bunch of Torah portions. Um, just for a timeline for a second, let's stop for a second and, and timeline this. So Moshe comes down from the mountain on Yom Kippur on the 10th of Tishrei. And the next day he tells the people to start building the Mishkan. We have the whole conversation when they get it, but this is when the people are actually going to get the command. The first thing they do is they have a building campaign where everybody brings stuff. And the Torah tells us that within two days, Moshe had all the necessary uh, materials that he needed. The, the builders, the contractors, whatever you want to call them, uh, came to Moshe and said, we have enough for whatever we need to do. And so they tell everybody, stop bringing, stop bringing more materials. We don't need to bring any more. Said no builder ever. <laughs> but it, and when you're building a house for God, uh, there is no such thing as, we're going to just store it for something else, right? If everything, A, everything is exact, and B, everything is coming from somebody's personal contribution. So if you take my contribution and you just kind of stick it on the side for when we need repairs, huh, that doesn't feel so good. And and even though you would say, well, I don't know which is my gold and which is my silver, but when we know that part of it didn't actually get used for the house of God, that is not like a cool, inspiring feeling. It's really not. And so when we build a home for God, and we see this later on in Parsha Snesa, when the when the tri- the princes of the, the princes of each tribe brought a donation to for the dedication of the of the of the Mishkan of the tabernacle, they each bring um, a a, a bull and a half a wagon. And so each, each two princes bring one wagon and everybody's like, cheapskate, <laughs> going to give me a whole wagon. What's the big deal? Why do you bring six wagons? Why do you, 
why can't you, would it have been so much more expensive to bring a whole wagon? Like, what's the deal? And the answer that the Rebbe talks about is that everything in holiness has to be precise. There's no random space there that's just sitting around doing nothing. If it fits in six, we don't put it into seven and we put it in precise. And the Gemara has whole conversations about how all the heavy stuff had to fill in, fit in very precisely so that it would stay because every single space has to be used. Even the space of the wagon is part of the contribution to Hashem. It has to all be used. It's not like, you know, there's some people, no, you know, like there are some people who know how to pack. And there's some people who don't really know how to pack. So the people don't really know how to pack. Like if you repack their stuff, like you get like another like seven boxes from Amazon in their suitcase. We just took it out and took out the package and stuff like that, right? The, so the, the Levian had to know how to pack because every single bit of space was, was godly and was holy. And so everything had to be used. You couldn't just randomly have like, you know, just throw it all in and hope it all fits. Like it wasn't like that. And so here, when we have the donations given, if it isn't going to actually be used now, we're not accepting it. We're not starting an endowment fund for like, future dedication things in the Mishkan. Like that's not happening. Yes, every year they're going to have a collection for the ongoing cost, but that was a yearly thing. So that means for per year, I was in the pile. It wasn't just like my things were stuck in a corner and who knows what was going to happen with it. So so they, so on the, so let's say, so on the 11th, they get the commandment. Two days they have to, they get all their, they get all their, uh, all the, all the, the, um, the materials. And then, the, the Gemara tells us that they start building immediately and they finish building all the pieces, all the components on the 25th day of Kislev. That means there's a very, very quick construction over there. It goes from the second, from let's say the 13th day of Tishrei. It's, yeah, it's like maybe just over two months. It's about just over two months that they built all the things for the, the Mishkan. But then what happens is that it doesn't, Hashem says to Moshe, but we're not putting it up yet. It's going to, put into storage for a little bit, okay? So the Gemara tells us that the 25th of Tishrei goes to, sorry, the 25th of Kislev goes to God and is like, it's not fair. I should have the dedication ceremony. Like, yeah, like, why are you taking this away from me? And God's like, I got a good one for you. I'm saving a good dedication of the tab of, of the of the base Hamikdash for you. What happens on the 25th day of Kislev? Hanukkah, Hanukkah. So the rededication of the temple it's going to happen on the day that the, the pieces of the tabernacle were actually finished. So the day was already established as a day for dedication. Hashem's like, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. Of like, I got you covered. Right. Anyway. So they're going to, so in our partial, they're going to talk about that on the first day of the first month, they're going to start to put together the Mishkan. And what we know that in the, it's going to come up again. And later on the Chomish, that the first day of the month of Nisan was when they actually the Mishkan is up and running and ready to go. Now, what happens is, is for the week before the Mishkan is in um, like, uh, no, 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 when, no, it's not in disarray, like, like full dress rehearsal, like, <laughs> like a preparation mode. Everything's made already, but on, for that week before, so from the 23rd of Adar, until the first of Nisan, Moshe is the acting Kohen Gadol. They put the Mishkan together every single day. And he's teaching Aaron and his sons all of the service that they have to do. So Moshe's doing it. They're the Kohanim. He's the high priest. And he's showing them everything that has to happen. So that's what's going to happen over here. We're going to have Moshe starting to show the people. It's the end of our Parsha. Where all the materials come to Moshe. It's going to happen on the 23rd of Adar. He's going to start putting it together. But until the first day of Nisan, the show is not starting for real. Aaron is not the acting Kohen Gadol until the first day of Nisan. And then we're going to have the end of, the, if you take for a second and you look to the end of the Parsha, we're going to, we'll see that in chapter 40, verse 34 and 35. So they, they're ready, the, they're ready to go in and the cloud covers the whole thing. Covers the whole art, the whole the whole tabernacle. He could not go in. There was such a cloud. There was such a presence of Hashem. He couldn't physically get into the building. He and Aaron couldn't get into the building at that point. And 
and later on in another part of the Chomish, it's going to talk about how Moshe Davins, Moshe and Aaron Davin together, and the cloud lifts up so they're actually able to come in and Aaron's able to do the service. And where Aaron feels very bad, he feels this is like an indictment of him and his, you know, he's not really fit to do this role. And, and Moshe's like, no, it's fine. And Moshe blesses the people. So this is really kind of like a little bit of a timeline of what's going on over here. So this, the, the cloud resting and not letting the people in, that's going to actually happen on the first day of Nisan. We're kind of like, coming into that space over here. Do you have a question that I just imagined that you raised? Okay, Beseda. Yes. Uh, so Moshe really, like, is the, the person that has reached the highest level possible of humanity and still couldn't go into the Kodesh Kodesh Well, this is, first like, of all... It's not, it's not that, but like... First of all, correct. Okay. Correct. But here's here's another step. Here's, here's a step forward. They can't even come in to the Mishkan. They can't walk into it at all on day one, meaning the first, the week before Sababa, they're going in and out and they're taking it apart. And there's a, there's a, there's a, an opinion of the Gemara that they took it, they pick, pick, put it up and took it down three times every single day. Like they would do the Avaita, take it. Other people said other opinions are that they took, he put it up and then he took it down, you know, once a day and somebody did it only once. But um, if it's about when it's real time, they can't get in. The presence of Hashem is so real. What happens with that level of the presence of Hashem? It stays in the Kodesh Hashem or not even there? So the way it looks from the Psukim, if you look at the end of the Parsha, right, they can't get in. And then it talks about that the, 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 the cloud, verse 36 and 37, this cloud lifts up mm-hmm. off the Mishkan, and then they knew that they could travel. Meaning there was something about that first that place of the cloud over the over the Mishkan was was this intense revelation that they couldn't access. Meaning, until the cloud lifted up, it didn't allow them access into the actual Mishkan. Where did that? So, in the time of the desert, the Torah tells us it was in the cloud, it was in the fire. It was so clear to them where it was and what they could do. Right? It's you know. Uh, well, it's like the home of Hashem in the world. But if Hashem's like fully, like his, his presence is there in a way that we can perceive it that much, we can't get in. We can't share that. We can't share exactly. It has to be a little bit. It has to be a little bit exactly. There has to be a little bit of space, which is like so true of the whole world. Of like, if Hashem were to fill this world as He does in a revealed fashion, uh, every, we wouldn't exist. Like all of our existence would just like we would just like be sucked into the sun or whatever. And we, so yeah, even in, even in the smallest version of that, the tabernacle, Hashem has to make space for us to come in, which is, which is, you know. Well, I feel like that's also why like, it was such a miracle that by the Beit HaMikdash, it said, it says that like there was room for everyone where they were standing up and. Right. And bowing. Also. But like, even like the concept of like, that there's, there's space for everyone and place where there's a revelation of Hashem's presence is like miraculous. Right. And then, and then, you know, like on the, on the side thing, it's, it, it doesn't say that there was space for everybody. It said that nobody complained that there wasn't space. <laughs> that nobody said, sorry, it wasn't that it wasn't tight. It wasn't that it wasn't, you know, but people were at a place where they weren't complaining also, which is, which is a miracle in and of itself. Let us, let us admit that. Um, Okay, so I want to share a couple of things about this. We've done a lot of conversation about this, but I want to share a couple of things. So the first thing that I think is, the first thing that I think that's really very, very interesting um, Okay, the first thing I want to talk about is where Moshe, let me see where we are. Okay, if in chapter 38, so Moshe, in the beginning of, of like in 25, he's talking about how much silver was collected. Yeah? You see where we are? Somebody want to read for me? 25, 26, 27? 28? Anybody who has it in English wants to read to us? You got it? Adina, go for it. Yeah. Oh, did not hear a word you just said. I'm sorry. The silver consensus money from the community was 100 
sanctified for each person who went through the counting from the age of 20 years and upward, which totaled um, 653,550. Right, so, so you have 603,550 people who get counted, half of that, because each one only gives a half a, half a shekel. So together you have 300 and whatever the number is over there, 300,000 something. Okay, yalla. So the, they can't, they, the kikar was the round number and the 1,775 were the shekel numbers that didn't make it into a kikar. Okay, go. The 100 kikar of the river was used for casting Okay, right? So the first thing we hear is that the key car of silver was used for the sockets. A socket is, when you have a building, you need a foundation. When you have a traveling foundation, a traveling building, you need traveling foundations. So basically what happened was the, the, the boards that were around the Mishkan had like a boot. Oh, okay. Around it. So this is a socket. So there's a conversation. Did they get, was it like this? So like these two are tied together, like a three-legged race. So these two are tied together and those two are tied together. So then you end up having a solid structure. Or was each one in its own little boot? Is each socket like a boot per, per thing? So there's, shockingly enough, difference of opinion. So a hundred, so one key car is going to, sorry, yeah, so one key card is going to give us a hundred sockets, right? Yeah. Okay, we're not. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna stick. To, we're gonna stick to the silver for a second. Okay, so we get an exact count of what happened with the with the silver. So a couple of things I want to say. First of all. Um, one of the things that they talk about in the, in the Gemara is that me'as is, could also be me'a from the word of a hundred, that the foundation, where we, from the, from the me'as kikar, from the hundred kikar we make, from a kikar we make a hundred sockets. And those are, the, the Gemara talks about that there's a thing, I don't know how we get, how we quantify the thing to make a hundred brahas every single day. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is one of the proofs that they talk about that where does it come from, that, that the foundation of the Mishkan, the foundation of our life is this hundred brachas that we make every single day, this constant going back to a place of gratitude to Hashem. So there's a, you know, they talk about if you, if you do the Amidah three times a day, you have your, if you're Ashkenaz, if you know, if you like us and you eat a lot and make brachas, like there's a way to, to get it and to make the brachas, but like this, this place of, of reminding, of reminding ourselves on a regular basis that Hashem is part of our life that's one of the things that we're talking about. That the foundation of our life is this hundred bracha, whatever. But also I think like that place of, of how do we constantly put Hashem into our life is also part of that conversation on a expanded scale. Meaning the Gemara talks about this idea of a hundred brachas every single day, which whether we do or we don't, that's it's a thing i don't know i don't i'm not i'm not knocking the thing but i think like if you aren't doing the amida which has 19 blessings three times a day it's going to be a lot harder to get your hundred but i think that that place of constantly reminding ourselves of hashem in our lives making a bracha that says thank you hashem that you for whatever it is that we're getting away it's the food that we have or the breath that we have that's that's the foundation of our mishkan our little sanctuary that we're going to do is that place of constant gratitude the other very interesting thing, which I want to back up for a second, can we pause for a second and understand that Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, who is trusted impeccably, I don't know if that's the right word, by Hashem, feels the need to come to Am Yisrael and say, this is where the money went, right? The, 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 the measure says that Moshe heard people talking and saying, oh yeah, Moshe got money. Like, of course, it's a big building. Yeah, like it's a big campaign. Of course, Moshe got rich from that. And Moshe's like, oh no, 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 no. That, that, that's not gonna happen. And, and that place that the extent to which we need to be concerned about what people think. 
Like there's two parts to this attitude. One is like, who cares? Who, you know, who are they to have an opinion? We're not influenced by other people's opinion of our behavior, right? There is a value to that. And on the other hand, to say, how, to what lengths does Moshe go to make sure that nobody could say he stole the money, that he took a penny from this, from this building account. Nobody would, I don't even know if the people who were saying it were saying it maliciously, you know? It was maybe just a comment. So like that place of where do we give people's opinions value and where do we not, both of them are actually very important, you know, because we know if we listen to everything that everybody said to us, we would never move forward in our Vedas Hashem because there are too many people in our lives who are like, okay, enough, enough, enough. Like, you know, aren't you doing enough? Like, stop. Like, why do you have to do more things? And, and, and they're not supportive of that. So, the, and yet there's a place where we do have to hear what people are saying and respond to that. So I think that's like a super, very important uh, lesson just in general, not only for finances, yes, for finances, but in general in life, like that balance between where do I care what somebody says about my life? And where's the point where, like, you know, correct, correct, halacha, but correct, halacha definitely cares about what does it look like I'm doing and how do I have to behave for sure. And at the same time, you know, the world at large would be very happy to say, just like blend with us and. Don't stand out, and we're not listening to that voice. So to know which voice we listen to and which voice we don't, it's we can't. You know, they say famously, you know, when when Golda Meir was the Prime Minister of Israel, and the UN was again shockingly enough, you know, condemning Israel. She said Um Shmum, you know, because Um is the abbreviation in Hebrew of of the UN. Like, who cares about the who cares about the the, the UN? But but. We've seen it multiple times in the parashiot where what the people say is valid. You know, Hashem wants to destroy the people after the golden calf. And Moshe says, what are the Egyptians going to say? That's, that's a winning argument, you know? So like what people are going to say is important, but it also isn't important. <laughs> and, and to be able, to, to, be able to, to differentiate when I should be listening to the outside voice and when I should not be is also part of our avoida. It's, it's, it's easy to say, we don't care what they say, but that isn't actually 100% true. And, and at the same time, we can't totally buy into their argument because they would just, they have lots of things, lots of opinions about what we should be doing, whether as individuals or as Jewish people, and we're not buying into their, into their thing over there. So that's so that one thing I wanted to say about how that, that, that balance between caring and not caring and how do we do that and how do we, how do we measure that? That's one thing. The other thing that that um, it, it's discussed and it, it comes down through the Gemara and then the Medrash brings it a lot. That if you take a look in verse twenty-five, it tells the and the one thousand seven hundred seventy-five, and, and the Gemara tells us that Moshe forgot what happened with this money. He knew the kikar. He knew the part that was made for the Adonim, and he was like. What happened to those last 1,775 shekels? Where did it go? Where did it go? And, and there's a conversation. Did he, Hashem, show him a picture of a vav, the letter vav, which is what a hook is? He's, in the end, he made hooks out of these, right? A vav is a hook. It's called a vav. A hook is called a vav because it's the shape of a vav. But it, it hangs onto one side and you hang things from it, right? Um, did he see the letter? Did he see? Did somehow he remembered. It's like, oh, it went for the hooks. So we're like, so, so the Rebbe asks, he's like, what? Like, what do you mean he forgot what he did? What, is, what does that mean that he forgot? So going on that theme of everything having a place in Hashem's home, Moshe looked at the silver, the silver Jews, and he said, the boat, we know what they are. The, 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 there's so many people. We know the personality. And what is their job? They are the foundation. They are solid. They are, everything rests on them. That is like those Jews that have it all together and they could be supportive of the people around them and the institutions around them, not just financially, but I'm saying like the people are with the program kind of thing, you know, like Moshe remembered where their place in Hashem's house was. 
but he said, I'm missing, I'm missing some, I'm missing, I'm missing some people. Where are they? And he remembers, where were they? Where were these hooks? These hooks are on the pillars on the outside of the Mishkan, right? Remember that we have the, we have the oil moid, we have the place where the holy and the holy of holies are. And then we have curtains all the way around. There's pillars and curtains that are hanging to border off the house of Hashem. And these people, these vavim, these hooks, were hanging on the outside of the Mishkan proper, and the curtains were, were hanging on, the, on these vavim. That this, it wasn't the pillars, the solid, the, you know, it was the people who were hanging on by a thread. And until Moshe remembered where their place in the Mishkan was, they themselves also don't have it. They also themselves, and, and the place is, they themselves are connected. It's not the strongest thing, but they are in fact connected to the house of Hashem. They are connected to the service of Hashem. And when Moshe remembers it, exactly like you said earlier, they also get to hear where their place is in the house. They're not put in, into an endowment fund. They are an integral part of the house of Hashem. Without them, there are no curtains. There is no border. There is no house. It's interesting that he didn't remember initially the outside people. It, it makes sense on a level. Yeah. No, no, correct. For sure, it's metaphorically. Oh, could you turn off the heating for a second? I'm falling asleep. Um, sorry. Uh, I think that part of it, because I just clicked the thing up. I think part of the reason that Moshe had a hard time remembering was because it wasn't his intrinsic space. Because yeah, he is so foundational. Because he's so foundational. He's so in. The, the, the Rebbe develops it much where he, you know, through Rabbi Akiva, and like it's a whole longer, whole longer conversation about that. But like that Moshe himself, we, we relate to the things that we, re, we relate to easily. And, and Moshe as leader had to also be able to relate to the places that don't, he doesn't relate to easily. But that he did remember. Meaning, it, meaning he took, he was like, first he didn't remember, but then he did remember. And that's why the leader has to remember even the people who aren't the ones that you see easily, the ones that are the foundation, but even the ones that are there and they're being the outside support, um, is, you know, that's also. And so I, the time frame. He had to. He had to be. No, no, meaning you could say he had to because he, 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 why did he know that he forgot? Because he was doing the count, mm -hmm. right? Because he was taking the time to account to the people where everything and everyone essentially, I mean, he didn't say you were over there and you were over there, but when Moshe's counting, that's what he's doing. He's putting everybody into their place in the Mishkan. So it wasn't that he was saying, this is where you are. Oh, hey, Rifka, you're hanging on a hook on the outside of the pillar. You know, it wasn't easy, but he, but he had to figure out where they were and how they connect. And, and it happened because he felt the need to give everybody the transparency and how powerful that is, that we all are part of it. Whether we show up in a big space or we show up and we feel our connection is kind of tenuous and kind of uncertain, and we would like it to be different, but that's also an important place to be to, actually create the borders that create the space that is holy. Because on the other side of that, on the other side of the curtain, it's no longer the house of God. Everything from that point in is the house of God. That point, and then past that, it's not. So this is, we're helping to make the, we're helping to make the, the framework for where the holiness, you know, starts and, and ends, which I think, Stam, this is my, my, this has been my, not my avoid. I don't know. I've, I've been I've been agitating with this over the last five weeks. In this place of the walls of creating space, of of creating holy space. Um, I don't know if I did. I give this. Did I give the example of the, of the baby to you guys at some point? So, so um, when when a woman is pregnant, they will often be told by their doctor or their carer, whoever's taking care of them, to take a calcium supplement. Right. So my 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 daughter was saying when she went to the doctor, so she's like, oh, right, because the baby needs calcium. And the doctor is like, baby is going to be fine. You're not going to be fine. Right. You're not going to be fine. You're you're going to end up, you know, they, they it was an old wives tale. You, know, you lose a, a tooth with every pregnancy or something like the baby is going to be fine. 
But we ourselves, if we're not replenished, we will lose out. And to me, I've been thinking about this so much over the last five weeks that the walls of the of the of the base of the Mishkan that we make, when we want to create a holy space, we need to first put walls that include protection for ourselves. They're like our calcium pills. If we don't create space for us, for ourselves, where do I have a space? Which is my holy space? Which is my holy of holy space? Which is my chatzer? Which is my courtyard where more people can come in? If I don't create those boundaries in my life, they're not going to be there. Not because the people around us are mean and malicious, because we're talking about in a healthy situation. In a healthy situation, we're surrounded by nice people who will take every bit of our energy when we nurture. But if we create the space for ourselves, our calcium pills, then we will, then we then have a place for real holiness to flourish. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what the space is to create a space. This is where I share with everyone. This is where I share with fewer people. This is where all of those spaces we need to be able to do it for ourselves. So I want to give a plug to Jewish women and, you know, please God, future wives and mothers and, and all the wonderful things that we get to do, however we actualize our lives, um, to remember to create space for ourselves. Not in the like, I take up all the space and nobody else has any space, which is a different kind of attitude. I feel that's kind of going on. It's, I like to blame everything on America, but like, <laughs> me, space, me, time, whatever. But it's so true. We actually do need to take the time and the space to replenish ourselves physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. All of those things are so important. And I've been really like mulling over it a lot as we've been dealing the last couple of weeks dealing with the Mishkan, how important it is that the, the first thing we did is that we, we, we put up the walls. But Sal is like, the first thing you need to do is you need to put up the walls and, and create that space. Um, it's interesting, by the way, to, to sort of undermine my, my own thought right now, is that if you look at the end, if you look at uh, the fifth Aliyah and the sixth Aliyah, when we talk about Moshe actually putting together the Mishkan, um, huh? Yeah, no, I just opened it and the first words that I saw was like, if you put up the wall. But, <laughs> yes, but if you take a look, what... Um, if you um, at 30, I think it's, um, um, where are we now? I said, I lost my space. This is the clothing, Ravie. They bring it all to Moshe. Um, okay, he blesses the people. If you chat, look at chapter 40, if you look at 40, okay, um, you see. It's chapter 40. If you look at one, two, three, where they start actually doing this, okay? Um, if it says you put, uh, we put up the Mishkan, and then it says that you are going to put the the Ark there, and then you're going to put the Parochis, and then you're going to put the curtain up, right? And it's going to, and, and it goes like that. You put the, put the table there, set it up, put the Mizbeach there, put the stuff there, and then you're, he's putting curtains around it, which is such an interesting thing. Because if you remember, we spoke about when Moshe gives the instructions to Betzal, he said, he said, Ark first. And Betzal's like, no, 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 you can't build the Ark. We're going to put the Ark, right? So the, the construction, which followed Betzal, was to build the outside walls in, right? Because that's how you build a house. When Moshe's actually going to set it up, we're going to notice that he's actually going to put the stuff in and put the walls around. And one of the things, like, uh, you know, like a thought as we're, we're finishing up here, there are times for both of those behaviors. There is a time where we have to put up our walls first. The normal way of behavior, we make the house, we make the structure, and then we fill it with the behavior. And Moshe's like, but not we don't always live in normal regular times and sometimes you just need to do the mitzvah right here right now and then build the walls around it like in a normal situation where we could like move step by step in our relationship with Hashem and what we do this is the normal way of behavior we build a structure and then we fill it and then we do it and sometimes there are times in our life and each and every one of us sitting around this table have experienced that space where we're just like 
yeah, we just got to jump in and do this. And it doesn't matter that we don't really have the proper framework for it. And we're like, where's that coming from? That's coming from Moshe. That's Moshe seeing the vision. And also actually when he built it, he put the vessels and put the walls around them. So he didn't do it with Saul. He did. He, but Saul built it that way. But when Moshe puts it up in the first time, that's what he does. Meaning when they actually travel, when they actually travel, they're going to put the walls up and then put the vessels inside. They are going to do it, but Saul will wait. But Moshe's kind of highlighting for us, there are times where you got to be a little crazy. So which is this time? This is Moshe now, when he's in the practice, in the practice, in the practice time, in the practice time, he's saying, our first, our first, we're just put it there, we're going to put a curtain around it, we're going to put the walls around it, because we got to do that, we got to do it, we just got to like bring the holiness in, we got to bring the, the, the mitzvah in, and then we'll, then we'll find the structure for it, and, and that's not the normal way of behavior, but it is a sometimes way of behavior that is necessary, yes. But we also say that it follows this theme of like transparency. Because mm. like, listen, like most times you're not going to see what happens inside, but for this time, I'm going to show you so they don't, that you don't think that anything in the world is a shem. It's like hidden from you really. Like, nice. You know? Nice point. Very nice point. That in the transparency that you need to have. Like to the, see what happens. See what's going on. You're not going to see this every day. You're not the Kongadol. You're not going into the Kodesh Kodesh, but. But know that it's there. You will have had the experience. And then that, and that's. Right. They would never see it. And then to be able to say, you know, we saw one similar, you could argue to like, what's the point of splitting the sea if it's going to close, if it's going to close, because once we had that memory of seeing the depths of holiness and the revelation of Hashem in such a real way that it's, it's, a, it's like trace memory. It's trace memory for us all over the place. So I want to give us a bracha that we are now closing the book of Exodus. We are now really, really putting the pieces of our Mishkan together. And A, I want to give us a bracha, because for me, it's like the hardest thing is to make walls, to make space, to make holy space, to be, to be able to delineate space as it's meant to be. Um, and yes, in all of our work, we should be able to be stepping forward into our Avedis Hashem to know that as we travel, Hashem is traveling with us. Sometimes we'll see it easier. Sometimes we'll, we won't see it so easily, but to know that it's always there, Hashem is always with us and that we should really have a Chodesh Tov. We should be able to do everything that we need to do with Simcha, with such a double measure of Simcha. And Hashem should only give us revealed good blessings for us personally, for Am Yisrael, for all the people who are in Ukraine and sticky situations wherever they might be the U ukraine is like the most obvious one for us now but we should really we should hashem should send healing and love and blessings and revelation in a in a way of of kindness and rahman have an awesome rest of the day and a